This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated and turn to Luke chapter 17, which is in page, on page 876 in the Pew Bible. Uh, I've been learning a lot recently from a contemporary saint, contemporary in that she's not dead yet, and I might be the only one calling her a saint, but you've heard me share a little bit what I've been learning uh, from Judith McNutt, uh, really appreciating her ministry. There's a story she tells some time ago. She was in prayer, meditating on the cross, and she was thinking about the nails in Jesus' hands, the whips and the flogging upon his back, the beating of rods, the crown of thorns upon his head. But more than the physical suffering, she was also contemplating the insults, the mockery, the scorn of those who should have been hailing him as king. And even more than this, contemplating the spiritual reality that in those hours when Jesus hung upon the cross, all the sin of the world, all the violence and the damage that we have done and has ever been done in the history of the world came down upon Jesus, the Lamb of God. And the Bible says that he became sin, taking the sin of the world into himself, paying the price of our punishment that we might be free. So she's meditating on these things, and she said, Jesus, thank you for what you did for me on the cross. And then she said, Jesus, I don't suppose, no matter how many times I thank you, I don't suppose it could ever be enough. And Jesus said to her, no, it, it could never be enough. But I want you to know how much it means to me each time you do. In our gospel story today, there were 10 who desperately needed Jesus. And by his healing power, they were set free, all 10. And one came back to give him an offering of thanks and praise, which the Bible tells us is the most pleasing gift, the most pleasing sacrifice, the best offering that anyone can give to God is a prayer of thanksgiving. So today we're going to learn about this one who turned back. We're going to ponder some of the reasons why do we hold back from a life of gratitude? What keeps us from overflowing gratitude to the Lord? And then finally, some practical ways that we can cultivate gratitude. So look now, chapter 17, verse 11. It says that on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. The law said they had to stand apart because of their disease, their leprosy. But they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And we can understand their cry of mercy is not generic. Specifically, they're saying, we know you can heal us. Have mercy and heal us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And this is referring to a law in Moses in the book of Leviticus, that when somebody had leprosy and they were cleansed, they were to go to the priest, and it was verified that they were cleansed. They would then offer sacrifices of lambs, a couple of birds. It was a very elaborate and expensive sacrifice that they were to offer. Now, these words at the beginning in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, they are not incidental. Jesus is on his last trip to Jerusalem. So Luke wants us to know 
This is Jesus going to be rejected, going on his way to suffer. This is Jesus on the way to death for the salvation of the world. Luke wants us to read the story of the ten lepers with the story of the cross before us, with the end of the gospel in mind. And Luke also wants us to put ourselves in the place of these ten lepers, to know ourselves as the ten who desperately needed Jesus. Now, we may not have a skin disease, but Luke knows we have a sin disease. And worse than leprosy, we are condemned to eternal death because of this disease. So when Luke says, on the way to Jerusalem, he is putting us in mind of the cross where Jesus heals us of our sin disease and saves us from death. Luke also says in verse 11, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. This is also not incidental. This explains why this leper colony was a mixture of some of the foreigners from Samaria and some of the Jewish citizens from the region of Galilee. But more significantly, it draws our attention to how throughout the Gospels, there is this theme of those who understand, those who get it, and those who don't. And the, ironically, it's the tax collectors and the sinners, the fishermen, and this lone Samaritan leper are among those who get it. And it's the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the law, and in this story, the other nine, who either are all Jewish citizens from Galilee or mostly Jews, and yet they are those who don't get it. And all throughout this gospel, everyone is hearing the same teachings from Jesus. Everyone is seeing the same miracles. And even in this story, all 10 receive by personal experience the healing power of Jesus. But only one understands. The nine, they don't get it. And the relevance for us, of course, this morning is that this brings us to a point of reflection and self-assessment. To which group do you belong? To which group do I belong? Continuing in verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. So Jesus said, we're not all ten cleansed. This is a rhetorical way of saying, I know all ten were healed. Where are the other nine, he asks. Was only one found to return and give praise to God, a foreigner? And then Jesus said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. So we see that the one who turned, first he sees that he was healed. How many of you here this morning, you know that you've been healed by Jesus? You've been forgiven and you've been saved. The one turns back. How many of you here this morning have turned back from the way of sin? You've turned back from the world. You have decided to follow Jesus. It's why you're here. Then he loudly praises God. How many of you are here this morning to give God a loud shout of praise? And then finally he falls on his knees and honors the Lord. He bows before him and gives him the gift of thanksgiving. How many of you are here this morning to bow before the Lord and to offer him that most precious sacrifice of thanks and praise? 
And Jesus says, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Now, to be sure, all ten had faith, didn't they? They had the faith to go before they were healed. He said, go, and as they went, they were healed. They went because they believed. And they saw him at the beginning and recognized he has the power to heal us. So they did have the basic faith to cry out for healing and to recognize who Jesus was. But for the nine, that was as far as it went. And even as they were healed, they continued on their way, and presumably they never saw Jesus again. But there was one who turned back. He had something even more precious to Jesus than, than that basic faith that can recognize what Jesus can do for him. This one who turned back had something more. He had gratitude, that most pleasing sacrifice, the best gift that you can give to God. In Psalm 50, it says, whoever offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving as his sacrifice, he it is that glorifies me. This is in the Old Testament, in the time of animal sacrifices. And God is saying, even better than all the work that it takes to get the animal to the temple, to go through the elaborate rituals of animal sacrifice, and yes, the costliness of a sheep or a goat or a bull, even more than all of that, we would say, isn't that more meaningful? All the work it takes to do that, God says no, because he knows you can do that simply following the scruples of your religion. You could do it in an empty way. But one small prayer turned upwards towards me in gratitude, you can't fake that. That's why God says, that's more precious to me than any other sacrifice. That was true in the Old Testament. That is true still for us today. The word Eucharist translated means to give thanks. And that is the center and the heart of our worship. What did the leper do? Well, he fell on his knees and he gave thanks. Or he turned back and he loudly proclaimed praise to God. So what did he do? Thanks and praise. And what do you say at the beginning of the Eucharistic liturgy? It is right to give him it is right to give him That was better, my lepers. That was better. So he did what we do every Sunday. And you know, in the end, this one who turned back, he fulfilled the law of Moses and the command of Leviticus in a more full and beautiful way than he probably even understood himself in the moment. Remember, Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices. And what did this one, because of his gratitude, he did something the other nine did not do. He turned around and he came to Jesus, the great high priest, and he offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving, most beautiful to God. Um, I have to credit John Raines for that last insight. Thank you, John, a man who loves the Bible, a good friend of mine, who also told me that when he was a kid, he didn't like Jesus because he thought he was unfair. Or he didn't like the story. Was it the story? Or Yeah, he didn't like this story. He liked Jesus, but he thought... 
this story seemed a little unfair because the nine, they, they go away just doing what Jesus told them to do. But notice the end of verse 15. With a loud voice, the one who turned back did so with a loud voice, immediately praising God. It was clear what he was doing. The nine saw it. They heard it. They too could have said, oh yeah, we, we have time to go back and thank Jesus and still make it to the priest in time. And presumably the Samaritan also eventually did go to the Levitical priest and offer the sacrifice. But they heard him thanking and praising God aloud. And for whatever reason, they just kept on their way. I guess they had more important things to do. Therein lies their culpability, John. That's why Jesus is not fair. Uh, is fair, sorry. He's not unfair. It's like if you, you know, go out to lunch with a few friends or maybe you go out to coffee with a group of colleagues and then somebody spontaneously picks up the bill and everybody's happy. But then at the end, when you're standing around about ready to leave, somebody who's smart and clever and wants to look good in front of everybody else jumps right in and says, oh, and thanks for picking up the tab. And then what does everybody else do? They start clucking like hens. Oh, yes, thank you. Thank you also for picking up everybody's... Because they don't want to appear ungrateful, but secretly they're thinking, I, I'm an idiot because I, I wasn't the first one to, to say thank you. But of course, I wouldn't be so rude as to not say thank you, even, even though I look like I'm a clucking hen. How strange it would be if in that moment somebody said, hey, thanks for picking up the tab. And everybody else just remained silent and walked out of the coffee shop or restaurant. <laughs> Guess they had more important things to do. That's exactly what the nine did. So why didn't they turn back? Well, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. We can speculate. We can imagine. But I think more important question for us this morning is, well, what about you? What in your life keeps you back from living a life of overflowing gratitude. Are you a grateful person towards God? Is that how you would characterize your Monday through Saturday? I think an answer for many of us of what keeps me from being grateful, I think a big one for all of us, is anxiety. Anxiety produces unwanted conceitedness. We don't want to be so turned in on ourselves, but we are. The burdens of life, the pressures we're facing, the busyness of life, and layered over all of that, the anxious fears that plague us all the time, especially the fear of failure. I'm not going to measure up. This time I'm going to fall flat on my face. Everybody's going to realize I'm a fake and an imposter. And this anxiety, these fears, the burdens, the busyness, the distraction of life, it's hard to be, uh, to be grateful when you're anxious, isn't it? You're all just sitting there like you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I guess I'm the only one who knows what it means to be anxious and hard for it to be. It's hard to be grateful when you're also anxious. So what do we need? What can possibly help our anxious thoughts? Well, I think the beginning is to get perspective. We need perspective. Because in all of the, the busyness and the distractions, the decisions that are right before us that feel so monumental, those things are passing, aren't they? 
and the things that are most true and foundational, that's what we have to come back to. Your creation, your salvation, the blessings of this life, that God made you because he wanted you to be. That's far more important than whether you're going to get that report done on time or not. That God loves you, and that's why he saved you, so that you be with him forever. And that even in this life, he has promised to take care of your daily needs. He has done that so far. He says, I'm going to keep doing that because I care for you. And when this life is over, you will never have a reason to worry or be anxious ever again. In the kingdom of heaven, perfect peace and joy. And by the way, Jesus would say, that's actually true right now. You have no reason to be anxious or afraid. He understands that it's hard for us to really believe. That's part of the work that we're doing here. But even now, there's no reason to be anxious or afraid. So we remember these foundational things, these things that are most true and most important, and when we do, we give thanks. God, thank you for making me. Thank you for my life. Today, thank you. Or like Judith McNutt, Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. I'll never be able to thank you enough. And it puts us in perspective. Not only will that cultivate a grateful heart in us, but additionally, You'll be rewarded with peace in the place of anxiety, firm trust in God, and hope even in the midst of strenuous challenge. That's the power of thanksgiving. But let's not also forget supplication. Supplication is when we ask God for things. That beloved verse in Philippians 4, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, Make your requests known to God. So a few days ago, uh, I was in the office and hearing about the youth retreat. The youth are on retreat. God be with them. Uh, and good news was that they had a lot of people going. Uh, but bad news for Sarah Graham, who was administrating the whole thing, is we need another bus. And the company says, there's no other bus. And so we got just a few people who were there. In less than 20 seconds, we asked God for a bus. Last night, I was texting Sarah, just curious, hey, what about the bus? Did you get the bus? She said, we did. It was a small miracle. Actually, buses are very large. But <laughs> now, not every logistical problem will be solved miraculously through prayer. But some will. And more than you would think. And certainly, more will be solved through prayer than if you don't pray at all. So for many of us, anxiety keeps us from overflowing gratitude. We can say, Lord, see my anxious heart. Forgive me. Help me. For others of you, though, maybe a smaller crowd of you, but I want to speak to you about something else that keeps you back from gratitude, and it is anger at God for the suffering that you've endured. And this is true even though or if possibly the suffering has ended, but your anger has not. We might imagine one of the lepers walking away, being healed, and then becoming embittered as he ruminates on the years of my life wasted, the relationships lost. Why didn't you come sooner? Or Jesus 
God, why did you do this to me at all? It's hard to be grateful to somebody when you're angry at them. Now, this can simply come from immaturity, in which case I'd recommend reading the last four chapters of Job. But this anger at God can also be a complex result of wounds, hurts, sins done against you earlier in your life that the devil used and took advantage of in order to feed you with lies about God's love for you and his goodness. So that now, later in life, when suffering comes, it leads you to anger at God even once the suffering has passed, that could be a sign the Lord might be revealing to you there are actually wounds from early in your life that have not been dealt with. And guess what? I want to heal those wounds. So what do you do if this is you and you're angry at God? Well, I think it's important to be honest first. If you're angry at God, talk to him about it. Tell him why. He already knows why, but he wants to hear from you. You might need to do this for a while. You might need to do this a lot. You'll definitely need to do it with people who can pray with you and who can pray for you. Because the real answer is healing prayer is what you need. Is it good to be angry at God? No. It is not good to be angry at God. But if you are angry at God, it is better to be honest about it with him. And then when you're ready, the next step will be you need to repent of your anger at God and release the anger that you've held at God. Let it go. And then you will know a new level of freedom and thanksgiving when you repent and release. And as I said, along the way, you will need the ministry of healing prayer to uncover what are those wounds from earlier in my life and to be able to hear through the ministry of those who can pray over you the words of Jesus, the power of Jesus to heal those wounds. You will need that. To discover which lies have taken root in your soul and what truths will remove them. But at some point, and the Holy Spirit knows exactly whether it's at the beginning of this healing journey, at the end, or somewhere in the middle, at some point, you will need to release to God your anger at Him. Until you do, there will, no be, there will be no freedom and certainly no gratitude. So along with being honest with God about our anxiety or our anger, um, along with asking for a grateful heart, let me conclude now with a a couple of down-to-earth ways that we can cultivate gratitude, especially I'm thinking of a weekly habit that I'm going to give to you and a daily habit that I'm going to give to you. So the weekly habit is come to church. It is so good that you're here because already by coming today, you're showing yourself to be the one who turned back. You turn back from sleeping in. You turn back 
from Sunday brunch at a nice restaurant. You turn back from getting ahead on a work project, getting ahead on a home project. You turn back from gaming, TV, or other entertainment, and you're here. You've come. And also, in a minute, in confession, you're going to be on your knees before Jesus, like the leper who was on his knees. And once in that posture, you're going to know yourself to be a former leper who was once a sinner, once an outcast, once having no hope of healing, but now redeemed, forgiven, healed by the blood of Jesus. And in kneeling in confession, yes, you're confessing your sins, but you're also proclaiming thanks to God for the healing blood of Jesus. And then in the Eucharist, never forget, never forget that in the Eucharist, you are praying. Liturgy is the work of everyone, not just the priest. So give a hearty amen. And know that every word of remembrance is your sacrifice of thanks and praise. So like the leper, with a loud voice, proclaim your salvation and offer your sacrifice as the priests of God that you are. One more thing I'll add to the weekly rhythm of corporate worship that's part of it uh, is about the offertory. The offertory is traditionally the part of the service where we are meant to have a time of personal reflection and personal thanksgiving back to the Lord. You'll notice at the beginning of the offertory, two members of the congregation who represent all of us will come forward and offer a symbolic bread and cup of wine. Bread traditionally symbolizes our livelihood. Where do you get your bread? This is my bread. So when we offer the bread, we're saying, Lord, everything that we have even to work comes from you, and it's from the wheat that we've harvested, the bread that we've made. We give this to you as a symbol of our entire lives as a sacrifice. And of course, what does God do? He blesses it and gives it back to us. But that bread is a symbol of our livelihood. In giving it, we say our whole livelihood comes from you. So too, the money and the tithes and the offerings that you give, the contributions you make, it's not the entirety of your livelihood. It's a portion of it to say, as I give my money, this represents all that I have. And I say, thank you for my job. Thank you for my money. Thank you for all that you've given me. You've taken care of me up to this point, and I know you're going to keep doing it. So give your money, but also give a prayer of thanks. It's also appropriate during the offertory to look back on the week. And thank God for particular moments. Oh, God, thank you for that conversation I had with my friend. Thank you for that reconciling moment with one of my children. Thank you. Thank you. So that's the weekly habit I want to give to you. Finally, let me give you a daily habit that we can all do to help cultivate gratitude. In your daily prayers, let the foundation of your prayer, the first thing you do, try it this week. Maybe you'll continue doing this beyond, but every day this week, let the foundation of your prayer be thanksgiving. And I'll give you two things in particular to focus on, what we've already talked about, your creation and your salvation. Just say, God, thank you for my life. And thank God for the things that sustain your physical life. God, thank you for the air I breathe, the water I drink. Thank you for food. Thank you for the clothes on my back and the roof over my head. Do you know those prayers that we so often overlook or trivialize? Those are so precious to the Lord. 
Thank him for your creation. You can also thank him for the beauty and majesty of the created order all around, absolutely. Thank him for your creation, and secondly, thank him for your salvation. Every day, thank Jesus for what he did for you on the cross. Thank him that by resurrection, he has set you free from death. Thank him that the hope of eternal life is yours. And may we, like the one who turned back, daily and weekly, come into his courts with thanksgiving and offer to our God his favorite sacrifice of all. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.